Well, today is Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, my team's not there, but I'm going to be watching it anyway because it's just a fun time and a good distraction in all that's going on in our world right now. So maybe if you want to in the comments, just drop in your favorite team, even though if, they're not, if they are not playing the Super Bowl, we can have some fun and just share our allegiances there. Uh, but also this week, something else happened fun in our culture. On Tuesday, February 2nd, it was Groundhog's Day. And uh, this is an annual tradition in America up in Punxsutawney, uh, Pennsylvania, where they bring out Punxsutawney Phil, this groundhog, and if he sees his shadow, then we'll have six more weeks of winter. Sure enough, he saw his shadow, and so we're supposed to have six more months of winter. Great! I know that's exactly what we want, more rain and cold. But anyway, uh, it's a fun time, and it reminds us also of uh, a popular movie in our culture, Groundhog Day that stars Bill Murray as a, as a weatherman, meteorologist, who goes to cover the story of Groundhog Day. Uh, I've got a picture of him here with uh, the groundhog that he kidnapped. Uh, it's a comedy, it's funny, uh, and basically the premise of the movie is that after Groundhog Day is over, uh, the next day comes and Phil Connors discovers that he has to relive Groundhog Day again, and then again, and again, and again, uh, because He's kind of this corrupt character. He's a flawed character, flawed person. And the whole point of the movie is for him to become transformed, to be reformed, to become a good person. Until he does that, he has to relive the same day over and over and over again. And it becomes kind of like his own personal hell that he can't break out of until near the end of the movie, we see transformation take place. He begins to soften. He begins to become a better person. And by the end of the movie, uh, he is a transformed person and he's able to move on from Groundhog Day into a brand new day, a new beginning. And it just got me to wondering, to thinking, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like Phil Connors, like that you're living the same day over and over and over again? And those flaws that are inside of us, those flaws that are in our character, just we can't shake them. It's like some baggage that we've had from a tough trip and we just can't get rid of it. And so we just find ourselves stuck. We find ourselves repeating some of the same bad behaviors that we would like to move forward from, to be transformed from, but we just can't do it. We're stuck. We're stuck in our own personal hell. We're stuck in our own personal Groundhog Day. And we'd like nothing else than to have a fresh start with ourselves. But how do we do that? Well, if you need a fresh start with yourself, well, you're in the right place today because we serve a God, Jesus, who can give you that fresh start. And we're going to see a, a real-life story in the Bible about somebody just like you and me who God had great plans for but kind of got in his own way. But God got a hold of him and gave him a fresh start. So if you are in need of a fresh start with yourself, then I invite you to stick around with me and let's explore this amazing passage of Scripture in the Old Testament together. We're going to be back in the book of Genesis and we're going to be back with a character, a person, named Jacob that we've seen earlier in this series. If, if you missed that, that's okay. You can go back and, and watch it online, but, but we'll catch you up to speed. What's happening is we're about 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. And God says to a man, Abraham, and to his wife, Sarah, that I want to give you a family. And I want your family to be a large family. I'm going to make your family into a nation. It's going to be the nation of Israel. And through your family, I'm going to bless the entire world. And from this family of Abraham, this family that becomes the nation of Israel, comes Jesus, the Son of God, who came to save all of us, to save the entire world. And so this, this agreement with Abraham and Sarah, this covenant that God makes with them, comes true. 
And in the process, we meet their family, and their family is a bit dysfunctional. Probably like your family and my family, if we're, if we're honest about that. There's, there's something that's not always right, and there's something that is right going on. Kind of these two things held in tension. Well, so Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac, and he and his wife Rebecca have two sons named Esau, who is the firstborn, and Jacob, who is the secondborn. They're twins, and Esau just happens to come out first from the womb, and Jacob comes out grabbing hold of his heel. Well, what we discover is that Esau should have been the next person in the lineage, Abraham, Isaac, and then Esau because he was the firstborn. That's how things worked in the ancient Near East. But Jacob is going to replace Esau in this, this lineage. And he's going to be the father of 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And the, and the nation of Israel comes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob kind of supplants. He takes the place of his brother Esau. And we looked at part of this story earlier in which he tricked his brother out of his inheritance, and that didn't sit well with Esau. Then he tricks his father into giving Jacob the blessing that should have belonged to Esau, and that makes Esau furious. And so even though Jacob is this favored child from God, he also has uh, kind of a, a scandal in his family. He has some moments in his own life that aren't picture perfect. And so what happens is he has to flee from his homeland for 20 years because Esau was so mad that he threatens to kill him. And so Jacob goes and he lives with his uncle Laban and while he's there he marries, he has these 12 boys. Some things go really well, he becomes affluent, but at the same time his uncle uh, Laban gives him kind of his own medicine and kind of does some, some trickery of him and, and he kind of has to I'm going to reap what he sowed with Esau. So it's kind of a mixed bag. But anyway, today we pick up the story where Jacob has been ordered by God to go back to Israel. He says, it's time for you to, to fulfill the covenant. It's time for you to go back and take the next step in this covenant that I made with your grandfather. And you need to go back and you need to make peace with your brother Esau. And Jacob is scared to do this. And so he, he's hesitant to go back. And this is where we pick up the story of Jacob, who has been pretty much self-sufficient, he's been manipulative, he's been deceptive, but now God says, it's time for you to live into my plans, and it's time for you to go back to the land of Israel, and this is what Jacob prays to God in Genesis chapter 32, beginning with verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan River to where I am now, but now I have become two camps. My family is, is divided, ready to go back. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you who have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make you your descendants like the sands of the sea, which cannot be counted. So Jacob, we see him in a, in a different light. Usually he's self-confident, self-sufficient. He's a bit manipulative. He's deceptive. He realizes now that he can't do this without God. He's scared to go back and face his brother. He's not sure that he can be the leader of this nation of Israel. And so he does something that we really haven't seen him do much of, and that's he humbles himself before God. 
realizes that he's going to need some help from God. And so we start to see some chinks in his armor, right? That, that idea of being self-sufficient, I don't need anything or anyone, we start to see that beginning to crumble as he's getting ready to go back home. So right after this, his family, he's kind of, he's divided into two groups and kind of sending them ahead of himself, and he's kind of in the back. And we see again another special moment that rises between Jacob uh, and something bigger than him. So let's continue in this story. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Right, so Jacob is left alone, and all of a sudden this guy comes up and starts wrestling with Jacob. And we ask ourselves, well, who is this man, and what's going on? And in this whole passage of Scripture, uh, the words for man, the here in this verse and later in, in the rest of the chapter, there, there are a couple of different words that this can mean. It could be a, a man, like a, a human being. But it could also mean a deity or a god, or it could also mean a god's representative, right? And, and a lot of times it's translated that Jacob was wrestling with an angel, a representative from God. Right? This is more than just a man. This is, this is like a, a wrestling match with an angel, possibly God himself. We're not sure. The scripture is kind of nebulous on that. In, in the Old Testament, later down the line, in the book of Hosea, Hosea writes about this and says that Jacob wrestled with an angel. Well, Jacob is wrestling either with an angel or with God himself, but this is a divine wrestling match. Right? God has something big in store for Jacob, so let's keep going. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Right, so it's, it, it seems like this is definitely a physical match, but you got to know at this time that Jacob is an old man. And so he's not like a WWE big wrestler, you know, coming off the top of the ropes, doing body slams on the angel. Uh, the angel clearly proves here that, that the angel is superior when it comes to fighting and in strength. All he did was simply touch Jacob's hip and knocks it out of socket. Right, so the angel cannot be overcome physically, even though Jacob seems to be holding his own. This, this seems to be more than a physical wrestling match. This is more of a spiritual wrestling match. God, or the angel, is wrestling with Jacob about who he is and, and who his character is and what God calls him to do. So this is much bigger than a physical wrestling match. This is something more between Jacob and God, Jacob and the angel. There's something deeper within going on in this wrestling match. So let's see what happens next. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, well, what is your name? It would be nice if he would have answered, right? Jacob, he answered, of course. Then the man said to him, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob then said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and as he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. 
So a lot going on in this passage of Scripture. Uh, and we see at the end there something needed. There were certain traditions in, in the Jewish food laws and things like that. And, and this is an, an example of that. This is called an etiology, uh, which means the cause. There's a lot of etiologies in the Bible, like why is there a rainbow in the sky? Why do we not eat this certain thing? Why do we eat this certain thing? So this is the cause of that, right? Hey, mom and dad, why can't we eat that? Don't you remember? That's when Jacob was wrestling the angel, and the angel roughed him up, so we can't eat this, right? It's, it's a cause. It's, a, it's an explanation. Right? But there's so much more here than just that simple etiology. What's going on with this wrestling match between either God or the angel and Jacob? I, mean, I think ultimately what it's all about is, is literally Jacob needs to be reformed. Jacob needs to be transformed. If he's going to be this ancestor of the nation of Israel that's going to bless the entire world through Jesus, he's got some baggage that he needs to let go of. And so he has to wrestle with God. There, there's a lot that's going on. Jacob, right, some of his stuff that he has, some of his issues, some of his baggage is that he, was again, was very self-sufficient. I don't need anyone or anything. Jacob was manipulative. He was deceptive, right? So to be the leader of the nation of Israel, to be the ancestor of the nation of Israel, he's got he's to get past self-sufficiency and manipulation and deception because quite honestly, those things are counter to having a life of faith, right? A life of faith in which we say we can't do it on our own. We need help from something bigger than ourselves. We need help from God Right? To, to say that I don't need anyone or anything, that's counterproductive to faith. It's counterproductive to who God is calling Jacob to be. And so God's getting a hold of him. Right? The angel's wrestling with, with Jacob. There's some spiritual stuff going on. Jacob has got to leave some of this baggage behind. He has to become transformed. Right? It's one of the core values of our church. We get that from Scripture. God meets us where we are and helps us become something more. God believes in Jacob. God called Jacob to, to be this ancestor of Israel. God met Jacob where he was, but Jacob's going to leave this confrontation better because God is going to transform Jacob. God is going to reform Jacob. And so I think that's what's going on here with the Scripture. He's got to get past his self-sufficiency. He's got to get past his manipulation. He's got to get past his... Uh, his, his delusion that he can do this on his own. And so God's wrestling with him, and he wants to break down that sense of self-sufficiency. Right? And in the midst of that, we, we see this, right? The, the first passages of Scripture that we read, we, we see that chink in the armor where Jacob's saying, God, I, I can't do this on my own. Right? I'm scared to go back and face Esau. You're calling me to be the, the leader of a nation of Israel. I'm not sure that I can do that. So we begin to see Jacob's heart become transformed. And, and we see that happen in, in this place. And, and then we see that, that Jacob also, with his persistence, uses that in a way that's positive. Maybe for one of the few times in his life that persistence really weighs positively as he's trying to do something in the name of God. I think he realizes that he's nothing without Jesus. Right? He's nothing without God. He, he says, I have seen God, and God has spared me. And we could read this on the surface and say that Jacob won the wrestling match because he wouldn't let go of the angel. But I think in his words at the end of that scripture, he's like, he had to surrender to God. He's like, I have striven with God, and God has spared my life. So Jacob admits that 
that the winner of this match is not him, it's, it's God, right? God, the angel, God's in charge of this. But with his persistence, he says, I can't leave you, angel, until you, until you give me a blessing. I can't go and face Esau without your help. I can't go and, and be the leader of the nation of Israel without your help. I need you to do something positive for me. And so he's crying out, asking the angel, asking God to do a blessing in his life. Right? His persistence is positive here and it pays off because the angel does give him a blessing. And he, he gives him the blessing of changing his name. He said, no longer will you be called Jacob. Now you will be called Israel. Right? Jacob means heel. Remember when he came out of the womb, he grabbed his brother's heel because Esau was first and Jacob was right behind him. I think it also goes to some of his character. In his life, he's acted kind of like a heel, right? And, and so uh, it, it says something about his character. But Jacob also means supplant, right, to replace, right? He replaced his brother Esau, and he did it through trickery and through deception. And so the angel says, you're not going to be a supplanter anymore. Right? You're not going to be a heel anymore. We're going we're gonna to change your name. Now you're going to be known as Israel. Right? This is going to be the name of the new nation, the nation that's going to bless the entire world, which means one who strives with God. And so the angel, on behalf of God, gives Jacob a blessing, and he changes his name. And this is important because it's, it's not just a name change, but the name change symbolizes a change in character. Right? It symbolizes a, a change in character that Jacob has wrestled with God and he realizes that God is God and he is not and that he has to submit to God and that he bows down before God. He's grateful that God spared his life and he says, okay, I will go if you will go with me. I can't do this on my own. And so Jacob encounters right, a change of character. Jacob encounters a change of character and so this is a powerful thing. Right? The self-sufficient the manipulative, the, the deceptive person now has humbled himself before God. And God has begun to transform him. And he's admitted to he can't do it on his own, his own. And he's going to need God to go back and face Esau. He's going to need God to go back and help him be the leader that he's been created to be. And so not only is his name changed, but his character's changed. And he's leaving behind the baggage that he needs to leave behind so they can move forward and be the person that God created him to be, to be Israel instead of Jacob. So what? What's the point? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway as we think about Jacob wrestling with the angel, Jacob getting a new name, right? Jacob humbling himself before God? This is what I think that God would have us take away from this passage of Scripture. With God, you have to lose in order to win. With God, you have to lose in order to win. With God, you have to lose in order to win. Jacob had to lose his sense of self-sufficiency. Jacob had to lose his ways of manipulation. Jacob had to lose his sense of deception. Jacob had to lose the idea that he didn't need anyone or anything in his life. In fact, it was the opposite. He needed God. He couldn't face his brother without God. He couldn't reconcile with his brother without God. He couldn't be the patriarch of the nation of Israel without God. Right? With God, you have to lose in order to win. So as we think about that in our own lives, uh, I, would, I would just kind of give you some things to think about. Maybe one of the ways that we apply this in our lives is that we begin to see yourself as God sees you. See yourself through God's eyes. 
Right? We need to see ourselves through God's eyes. What do we need to lose so that we can become the person that God wants us to be? Right? What, what do we need to have transformed in our lives? Because a lot of times we're blind to the things in our lives that we need to transform. Right? We put up this image to the world that we're better than we are and we have all these great things that, and we, we, we begin to believe this facade that we've created. Right? But God can see through that. God can see through the BS. And God can cut through the BS, if you'll excuse me for saying that. Right? God sees who we really are. Right? The part that we hide from the world, the part that we hide from ourselves, the, the sinful part, the, the, the stuff that we don't want to admit in our lives. Right? See yourself through God's eyes. Right? In order to be transformed, we first have to admit to what needs to be changed. We have to recognize what's broken inside of us, and we have to humbly offer that up to God. See yourself through God's eyes. and We can't do this on our own. We have to ask God to help us. Like, God, show me what's broken inside of me. Right? But I'm guessing that a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we know what our issues are. We know what we struggle with. Right? For Jacob, it was self-sufficiency. For you, it might be greed. It might be selfishness. It might be that we have control issues. It might be that we struggle with lust in our lives. We have an addiction, right? What is it in your life that's broken that's holding you back from being the person that God created you to be? See yourself through God's eyes. What is it that God needs to come in and operate on in our hearts and in our souls, right? With God, you have to lose in order to win, right? And we have to see ourselves through God's eyes to know what needs to be sacrificed, needs to be taken away from us so that we can live into the life that God called us to live into. We can have life to the full. Right? And so maybe the next step, once we ask God to help us see ourselves through His eyes, right, would be to ask for a new name. Right? To ask for a new name, to ask God for a new name. I'm not talking maybe literal name. I'm not saying that you have to change your name. Right? But what, what fresh start do you need in your life? Jacob had to leave the supplanter story behind so that he be could become Israel, right? What does it mean for us to, to get a new name? Right? Maybe your new name could be forgiven. Maybe your new name could be bridge maker, right? Peaceful. Maybe your new name needs to be humble. Maybe your new name needs to be faithful spouse. Maybe your new name needs to be sober. Maybe your new name needs to be generous. What is it that's broken inside of you that, that you need to let go and let God have? And what new name do we need to have, right? Because what happens is when we ask God for a new name, what we're really asking for God to do is to change our character. Right? Jacob moved from being self-sufficient to being God-dependent. Right? What do we need to move from to leave behind? What baggage do we need to leave behind so that we can receive the new blessings that God has for us in our life? What needs to change in our character, right? You know, when I, I do premarital counseling with couples, you know, one of the first things that I say to them is, don't come into your marriage thinking that you're gonna be able to change the other person. Because inevitably, people come into a marriage thinking, I love this person, but there's a few things I don't like about them, and with some time, I'll be able to change them. And that just doesn't work, right? We can't change other people, right? We have to allow ourselves to be changed by the power of God. God is the one that can transform us to meet us where we are and help us to become something more, right? Ask for a new name, right? When Laura was pregnant with our second son, uh, as we were thinking about what to name our, our son, 
uh, I was like lobbying for the name Thor. I'm like, that's like a really cool superhero. We could have a little football player. He'll be in the Super Bowl one day. Thor Thompson, right? That'd be an awesome name, right? Thankfully, Laura didn't go for that. Uh, it just wasn't meant to be. Gratefully, I'm grateful that we ended up naming our son Nathan. Really, it's Nathaniel, which Nathan for short. Uh, Nathaniel uh, is one of the 12 disciples in the Bible. Uh, Nathan was the prophet in the Bible that stood up to King David, and, and it took a lot of courage for him to do that. And so those are kind of where we got Nathan's name from. And, um, you know, we love, I, like, I love the name Thor, but it means God of thunder uh, in the Norse mythology, right? I only believe in one God, and that's Jesus Christ. And so, right, I'm glad we made that shift. Nathan also means gift from God, right? Gift from God. And, and Nathan is a miracle from God. We almost lost him in, in the pregnancy. And so it's a miracle that he is alive and he's a gift to God for, for us, right? Names mean something. Right? And so I'm not saying you have to change your literal name, but what new name, what new characteristic could God give you and call you? Right? Humble, forgiven. What, what new name, what new characteristic could God bring into your life if you're willing to to humble yourself before God as Jacob and now Israel humbled himself before God as well. I think another thing that we can do and, and we need to expect in this is to remember that Jacob did receive a limp when he wrestled with, with the angel. And I would say that, that we need to lean into the limp. That when we humble ourselves before God, right, we're gonna have to swallow our pride. We're gonna have to eat some crow. And, uh, and we're going to have a limp. I don't, I don't know that Jacob or Israel had his physical limp the rest of his life. I hope that it was just a temporary thing. And I don't think that we're going to get a physical limp from God. But I, I think our ego is going to be bruised if we turn to God and say, God, I can't do this on my own. This is what's broken in my life, and I need you to help me fix this. I need you maybe to, to send me to some counselors who can help fix this. I need some help with a pastor who can help me deal with this. God, I, I think you can fix it on your own, but Lord, I need you to help me. That's going to leave a kind of bruise to our ego. And maybe that's okay that, that our ego, that we have to limp around with our ego knowing that it's not just about us, it's about God. That with God, we have to lose in order to win. Right? So lean into that limp. And actually, you know, a hard reality is a lot of times we don't need, we don't know that we need God in our lives unless there's a crisis happening in our life, right? We, we don't know that we have something broken inside of us. We don't know what our character flaws are until something happens in our life like it did with Jacob, right? Jacob had a crisis in his life. He was scared for his life that his brother was going to kill him, right? And so that crisis kind of caused him to examine his life. And so a lot of times in our lives, right, we don't think we need God. We don't even think about God until something bad happens in our life and it gets our attention, especially when we don't know who God is, right? It takes something to wake us up. Even those of us who follow Jesus and who have been saved by Jesus, sometimes, you know, we forget that it's a, about Jesus. Sometimes we think that it's all about Jesus bringing, like, goodness into our lives, and, and we forget that God's not in the habit of being used, so there are crisis points in our lives that get our attention so that we can focus back on God. Now, I want to be really clear that I don't think God causes bad things to happen to you. I don't think so. I don't think God takes joy in, in bad things happening in your life. But sometimes in those crisis moments, it's when we, for the first time, can truly say, I can't do it on my own, and I need to turn to God. 
So maybe if you're in a crisis point right now, it's your opportunity to start trusting God like never before. Or if you want to avoid some crisis like that, maybe to avert that or to get ahead of it, say, Lord, I need a character change, right? But we can't, afford, we can't avoid crisis in our lives, right? So to lean into the limb, right? If there's something rough going on in our lives, to see it as an opportunity to invite God to come and speak into our lives and to help us through that. With God, you have to lose in order to win, right? See yourself through God's eyes. Ask for a new name. Lean into the limp. I'd say just one more thing to come back to that see yourself through God's eyes. I, I think sometimes, you know, we can, we, can, we can get too caught up into the negative stuff that we're having to deal with. So I think another way of, of seeing ourselves through God's eyes is to give yourself a break. Just give yourself a break. It's called grace, unmerited favor. That, that's exactly what God does. He sees us. He knows that, that even though we're created in God's image, we're, we're not perfect and we're flawed. And, and sometimes I think we just beat ourselves up too much. And we just throw so much guilt and shame on ourselves that it, it paralyzes us from opening ourselves up to ask God for help. I'm just so far gone. God could never love me. You don't know what I've done, Pastor. There's no hope for me. And we go down that path, it's a false path, right? Because God still loves us. And God created us in God's image. God still has plans for us. God still wants to bring goodness into our lives. And so I would say, see yourself through God's eyes. Give yourself a break. Because that's exactly what God does through Jesus. He sends us something that we don't deserve. Right? He came into the world to forgive us. He died on a cross so that you and I can be forgiven and we can live life to the full and we can live forever in the kingdom of heaven. Give yourself a break. It's called grace and God is ready to give you a fresh start with yourself. And so today we celebrate that gift. It's called Holy Communion. Right? And so I just invite you to grab you know, something to eat, something to drink. I'm going to walk back here to our communion table as we remember exactly what Jesus did for us. That he was with his disciples the last time and he was at dinner with them. He took a loaf of bread and he took that bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, remember. And then he took a cup of wine and he poured it out for his disciples and he gave it to them and said, take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many so that your sins may be forgiven. As often as you do this, remember me. As we think about the guy in the movie Groundhog Day who was just stuck living the same life over and over again, the same character flaws, not knowing how to break out of that, right? He got a fresh start. If you're stuck in your life and you're carrying around baggage of guilt and shame and flawed characteristics and you want a fresh start with yourself, then this is the place to start, to start with Jesus, to know that he loves you so much that he left heaven to come to the earth and he died on a cross and his body was broken, his blood was shed so that you can be forgiven so that your guilt and shame can be replaced with joy and peace, so that you can live life to the full now and forever in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gave you a break. Give yourself a break and turn to him today and invite him into your life to be your Savior, to be your Lord.
You don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be a baptized Christian, right? Jesus did this for all of us. And so I just would invite you to open yourself to receiving Jesus right now. Will you pray with me? Gracious and ever loving God, thank you for loving us so much that you created us in your image, that you have amazing plans for us. And even when we get it wrong and mess up, God, you give us a break that when we lose, we actually win. Just like when you lost on the cross, we won through your victory of the resurrection. And so God, forgive us of the wrong things that we do. Help us to be humble and offer our, our flaws to you, God, and give us a fresh start with ourselves. Give us new names, dear God. Give us new character, transform us. God, please now hear our silent confessions of the things that we've done wrong against you or against others. Offer them up to you now silently. God, we thank you for your forgiveness. And we ask that whatever we have to eat today would become your body symbolically broken for us. That whatever we're drinking today, God, would be your blood for us symbolically so that we can be forgiven. You, God, please come and give us a start. Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you will take what it is that you have to eat and know that this is symbolically the body of Jesus Christ broken for you. And that this symbolically is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. Jesus came so that you could have a fresh start. Receive that gift today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.